Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well. And being that we are now just a week away from Christmas Eve, can you believe that? Today, next Sunday morning, and next Sunday evening, we will be sharing with you all a number of Christmas-themed messages and sermons in order to help you all prepare your hearts and your minds to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will begin our Christmas-themed messages today by considering a text from the Gospel of Luke, that text being Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56, or Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. And if you are not familiar with this song of praise, for it takes place in the Gospel of Luke, after the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph and who was part of the house of David, or part of the family line of David, and betrothed here essentially meaning, church, that the parents of Mary and Joseph, that they had seemingly at this time agreed in a legal and contractual way that Mary and Joseph would be married, but that at this time they were still not officially married, and thus Mary then would have still been a virgin. And yet the angel Gabriel here says to this virgin named Mary, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And after Mary then said back to the angel Gabriel, for how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel Gabriel then went on to explain to Mary that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And thus in those days then, or at that time then, this virgin girl named Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to the town of Judah, to her relative named Elizabeth, who had conceived a son even in her old age, and who was at this time six months pregnant. And when Elizabeth then heard the greeting from Mary for the baby inside Elizabeth, that baby being John the Baptist, or the one who would prepare the way of the Lord, for he, John, then leaped within her, or leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth then filled with the Holy Spirit, for she then exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you, speaking to Mary here, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary here, church, even though she's still a virgin at this time, and not yet married to her betrothed Joseph at this time, and yet has been told via the angel Gabriel at this time that she would have a baby, 
And as New Testament scholar Kenneth Birding puts it, was very likely in line to be exposed to a lot of humiliation at this time as well for this virgin girl named Mary, for her response here, church, is a song of praise. To which, as Bairdine then goes on to write, that some time ago I was pulled into a series of very difficult discussions with a quite difficult person, and that those conversations then were taking up a lot of my thinking and prayers. But one day I was reading my Bible and I found encouragement in a line from Jesus' farewell discourse, where just after he told his disciples that they would face sorrow when he was taken away from them through his crucifixion, for Jesus then encouraged them, saying that he would come again to them, them, pointing to his resurrection. And then he added, and no one will take your joy from you. John 16, 22. And Mary here, for she in essence decided, while facing something far weightier than the difficult discussions that I, Bairdine, was facing, that no one was going to take her joy away from her. And she made that decision even before the difficulties started. For Mary rejoiced in God, her Savior, and likewise, so should we. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the overall theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Praise the Lord for who He is and for all of His promises, since God is faithful and He will be sure to keep all of His promises. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Praise the Lord for who He is and for all of His promises, since God is faithful and will be sure to keep all of his promises. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you as our gift to you this morning, and to open that Bible up at this time to page 856, and to join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be looking this morning at Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56, where Dr. Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name." And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that at this time, no matter what anyone of these dear ones here today is going through, Lord, let nothing steal their joy this morning and the salvation that they have in Jesus Christ. Let nothing steal their joy this morning. For let them be joyful in all situations. Again, I say rejoice. For today is a day that you have made, Father, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, and we will praise you, Father, for all the promises that you have made, even if they have not yet come to pass, and we will praise you, God, for who you are, a sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, loving, merciful, gracious Father, who only gives good things to his children. Father, I pray that this text this morning from this dear servant girl named Mary, that it humbles us. And Lord, that we seek to be humble before you, Lord, and before each other. That we be quick to bear with one another in love, in all humility. Father, that we seek to praise you for all the promises that you have made, And that we praise you, Father, above all else, for who you are, the God of the universe. Strengthen us and convict our hearts this morning, I pray. Open our eyes and our ears to this text. Soften our hearts to receive it, Lord, to be transformed by it. And I pray, Father, as your humble servant this morning, that you help my lisping and my stammering tongue to deliver this message for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, humble yourself before your mighty and holy God. Point number one, humble yourself before your mighty and holy God. Verses 46 through 49. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So as we open in verse 46, the Virgin Mary, for she responds back to her relative Elizabeth here. Again, to her relative Elizabeth, who is with child at this time, that child being John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way of the Lord, and who also just said to the Virgin Mary, as Luke chapter 1 verse 42 puts it, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And the Virgin Mary, for she responds back to her relative Elizabeth here with her song. 
a song church that really does seem to echo or to recall that of Hannah's song or Hannah's prayer from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hannah here being the mother of the prophet Samuel. Nevertheless, the Virgin Mary here for her song, for it begins like this. Verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. Or as other translation puts it, my soul glorifies the Lord, praises the Lord, exalts the Lord, or proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The Virgin Mary seemingly using the terms soul and spirit similarly here in order to express that she praises and worships God with that of her entire being here. And she rejoices in church, as we see in verse 47, God, her Savior here. And that the Virgin Mary, for she doesn't view herself as her own Savior here, nor does she view herself as her own rescuer here, nor does she view herself as her own means for salvation here, but instead the Virgin Mary, as we see in verse 47, for she rejoices in God, her Savior here. And that, as John MacArthur put it, Mary refers to God as Savior here, indicating both that she recognized her own need for a Savior and that she knew the true God as her Savior. Therefore, nothing here nor anywhere else in Scripture indicates that Mary thought of herself as immaculate or free from the taint of original sin. Instead, quite the opposite is true. And that Mary employed language typical of someone whose only hope for salvation is divine grace. And thus there is nothing in this passage that lends support to the notion that Mary herself ought to be an object of adoration. And the Virgin Mary, for she not only magnifies the Lord here and rejoices in God her Savior here, but she also then goes on to share, as we see in verse 48, that he, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant, or that he, God, has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant, his servant obviously being here the Virgin Mary, who most certainly did not come from royalty church, nor from wealth church, nor from fame or fortune or power or nobility church, but instead he, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant Mary, or on the humiliation, or on the lowly state of his servant Mary, and verse 48, behold, from now on all generations will call Mary blessed, and all generations will call the Virgin Mary blessed, as she goes on to share, not because of the holy things that she has done, nor because of the righteous things that she has done, nor because of the noble, illustrious, exceptional, or great things that she has done, but instead all generations will call her blessed because, verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for her, and holy is his name, in that all generations will call the Virgin Mary blessed because of the great things that the Lord Almighty has done for her, since he the Lord God Almighty has taken this teenage virgin named Mary and despite her humble estate has chosen her to bear a son named Jesus, the one who will be called holy, the son of God himself. 
and yet despite the fact that all generations will call Mary blessed, and despite the fact that he who is mighty has done great things for her, and despite the fact that Mary will give birth to the one who will be great and who will be called Son of the Most High, and who will reign over the house of Jacob, and whose kingdom will have no end for this virgin girl named Mary, for she doesn't act prideful here because of all that, nor boastful here because of all that, nor egotistical or haughty or high and mighty or arrogant here because of all that. But instead, as J.C. Ryle writes, that although Mary was chosen by God, to the high honor of being the Messiah's mother, she still, she still speaks of her low estate and acknowledges her need for a Savior. And thus let us copy then this holy humility of our Lord's mother. And like her, let us be lowly in our own eyes and think little of ourselves as well. Since humility is the highest grace that can adorn the Christian character. For the saying is true, that a man has just so much Christianity as he has humility, and and humility, for it is a grace Christian that is within the reach of every converted person, since although not all are rich, and not all are learned, and not all are highly gifted, nor even preachers, for all the children of God can be clothed with humility. Therefore, let me encourage you all here this morning. As God's chosen ones and as holy and beloved, to put on then compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Colossians 3.12. And to do nothing from rivalry or with conceit, but in humility to count others as more significant than yourselves, Philippians 2.3 and to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2. And yet, if you are someone who struggles to be humble Christian, or who struggles clothing yourself in all humility Christian, then lovingly let me remind you at this time of who you once were. Christian, that being that you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, following after the course of this world and following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath just like the rest of mankind, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. For that is who you once were, Christian. Dead in your sins, following the devil, and you were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. And yet, but God. Two of the most humbling words in all of Scripture. But 
God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us for even when we were dead in our trespasses for he made us alive together with Christ for by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Christian. And this is not your own doing, for it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. And thus, in light of all that, for let me also then lovingly encourage you all here today who struggle with clothing yourself in all humility to let that love that your God has for you, Christian, and that mercy that your God has shown to you, Christian, and that grace that your God has given to you, Christian, that grace that saved you even when you were dead in your sins, for let all of it just absolutely then overwhelm and humble your hearts and your minds this morning, Christian, since as Psalm 147 verse 6 puts it, for the Lord, for he lifts up the humble but cast the wicked to the ground. Which brings us to point number two. God is faithful and will always keep his promises. God is faithful and will always keep his promises. Verses 50 through 56. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in, their tho- in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So the Virgin Mary here, after magnifying the Lord and rejoicing in God her Savior, and then sharing about how from now on all generations will call her blessed, because God, who is mighty, has done great things for her, For the Virgin Mary then, she goes on to share in verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The Virgin Mary seemingly recalling here the words of Psalm 103 verse 17, which reads, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. In essence, Mary is praising God here for the mercy and the compassion and the kindness that God shows to those who fear him and to revere him and to honor him, no matter the age and no matter the generation. Only to then go on to share, as we see in verses 51 through 53, that he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
And to put this all together here, church, Pastor David Strain, for he explains it like this, that in verses 50 through 53, look at what God does. And notice that while the Virgin Mary starts her song by speaking about herself, as it's a word of personal witness to the work of God's grace in her life and the coming of Jesus Christ, for she quickly then universalizes it, and that the grace of God isn't just for her alone, but instead more is taking place in the coming of Mary's child that first Christmas than just the favor of the Lord toward Mary. And here's how Mary, in essence, then understands the significance or the meaning of the coming of her child. For his arrival is the mercy of God for all who fear him from generation to generation. And it is the display of the strength of his arm by which judgment on the proud and blessing on the humble at last has come. And yet, interestingly, in this whole section of her song, she speaks of the blessings that the Messiah brings in the past tense, although these promises speak about what Jesus is going to do. Mary sings about them as though they have already taken place. And Mary sings about the range of the blessings that the Messiah will bring as if they had already come into the world or in the past tense. For example, in verse 51, the proud condemned, verse 52, the humble exalted, and verse 53, the hungry fed. Because now that Jesus has come, the future is as sure and certain, and the promises of God are as sure and certain as a fact of history which the Virgin Mary then goes on to share in verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And in essence, what is seemingly taking place here, as numerous scholars point out, is that the Virgin Mary is recalling here, if you will, the promise that was made to the patriarch Abraham, That promise being, as we see in Genesis 22, verse 18, that in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Or as the NASB puts it, that in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Only to regard then and to make known then, church, that this Son of God, that this Jesus who she, Mary, was going to bear, that he was the offspring or that he was the seed who would fulfill this promise to Abraham and that through him, this Jesus, all the nations of the earth then shall be blessed. Which as we see then in verse 56, that after Mary finishes her song of praise, That this young virgin then remained with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her home, seemingly staying with her relative Elizabeth until she was about to give birth to her son, again that being to John the Baptist, only to then apparently leave just prior to his birth in order to return back to her home. Not back to Joseph's home, as the text makes crystal clear here, church, but instead back to her home or back to her parents' home, to which you might be sitting there this morning, church, thinking, okay, so in light of verses 50 through 56, for what exactly then can we as Christians today learn from or apply from these verses here this morning? 
And I think one thing that we can learn from these verses or apply to our lives here this morning from these verses, as one commentator put it, is this, that we should praise God for keeping his promises even before we see his promises fulfilled, since that is what these women, Mary and Elizabeth of faith, did. And our God's mercy, for it endures forever. And thus being that our God has promised us, brother Christian, sister Christian, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 6. And that Jesus Christ will indeed come again, John 14, 3. And that there indeed will be a resurrection from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. And that he, God, will indeed one day wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Revelation 21, 4. For we then as Christians can and should praise our God for each and every one of those promises, even in the here and now, and even though they have not yet come to pass. Since our God is a faithful, promise-keeping God who will be faithful to keep each and every one of his promises that he has ever made. Therefore, rest in that reality, Christian. Find peace in that reality, Christian. And praise your God always, even in the here and now, for each and every one of his promises made, Christian. Because even though some of his promises have not yet completely come to pass, for as sure as the East is, from the west, for they almost assuredly one day will, since he who promised them, Christian, he is faithful. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first, and to share with you at this time, non-Christian, what else in brief this Jesus Christ did after he was born, which was that this Jesus Christ, again, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, thus being truly God and truly man, for he lived and dwelt among us non-Christian and saved the children of God then from their very sins. And he, Jesus Christ, did that by initially living a life here on earth that was sinless. And that unlike us who sin against our holy God each and every day, Jesus Christ on the other hand, for he never sinned against his Father God once, but instead lived a holy and righteous and sinless life here on earth, something that we as sinners could never ever do, and in doing so, fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense, and he did it non-Christian for the very children of God. However, keeping the law of God for the very children of God, for that in and of itself was not enough to save sinners from their sins, since the wage of sin or the cost of sin is that of death. And thus, because of all that, for he, Jesus Christ then, willingly took the sins of the children of God upon himself and bore the wrath of their holy God that they as sinners deserve for their sins by being crucified and killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in their place and as their very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. 
And in doing so, this perfect and sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross at Calvary for the sins of many, for he not only satisfied the justice of our holy God, but also appeased then non-Christian the wrath of our holy God toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of all that, three days later then, this crucified and killed and buried sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, being that sin and death then had no power or no claim over him, for he, Jesus Christ then, for he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, being that our passage today was Mary's song of praise, For it only seems fitting then to close this morning around this same theme of praise. And although I have already shared with you all, as previously mentioned, that we should be willing to praise our God for keeping his promises even before we see his promises fulfilled, for I'd also like to encourage you at this time to also be willing to praise and to magnify your God simply for who he is as well. Which naturally then leads to the question, well, how exactly can we as Christians do that or grow in that area in our lives? And the prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, as one pastor shared, for he seemingly answered that question by recommending that we as Christians take time consistently to dwell on the attributes of God by, for example, beginning with his mercy, if you cannot begin with his holiness, and to take the attributes of God one by one and think about them. Since, as Spurgeon writes, I do not know of a single attribute of God that is not wonderfully inspiring and powerful to a true Christian. And thus, as you think about any one of them, for it will delight you, and it will carry you quite away, and you will be lost in love and in wonder and in praise as you consider it. For you will be astonished and amazed as you plunge into its wondrous depths, and everything else will vanish from your vision. And in all honesty, what a wonderful practice to add to our lives as Christians. And thus, if you are looking for ways to help you grow, Christian, in glorifying your God, 
and in magnifying your God and in praising your God daily, then lovingly let me encourage you, Christian, to take some time to consider daily, for example, the mercy of your God, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 1.3, or the holiness of your God, who is light and that in him is no darkness at all, 1 John 1.5, or the omnipotence of your God, who said, let there be light, and there was light, Genesis 1.3, or the sovereignty of your God, who is in the heavens and who does all that he pleases, Psalm 115.3, or the love of your God, who so loved this world that he gave his only son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, John 3.16, or even the omniscience of your God, or the omnipresence of your God, or the immutability of your God, the justice of your God, the righteousness of your God, the goodness of your God, the eternality of your God, and yes, even that of the grace of your God. And to then let each and every one of those attributes of your God, Christian, and the so many others as well, as you meditate on them and study them, consider them and try your best to plumb the depths of them, calls you then, Christian, to be in all of your God, to trust greater in your God, to grow in reverence of your God, and to rejoice more consistently in your God as well. Since the fact of the matter is, Christian, the Lord is God, he made us, and we are his, Psalm 100, verse 3. And thus, as the creation, for we are to praise not that of ourselves, nor the things that we create, nor the money that we make, nor the gifts that we gain, nor the possessions that we may obtain, but instead we are to praise and to magnify, exalt and to glorify the Lord God, our creator himself, since great is the Lord and greatly to be praised is the Lord and the greatness of our Lord, for it is unsearchable. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body, that we truly do humble ourselves before the Lord, and that we realize that you, Lord, are God, and that you made us, and that we are yours, and that we grow in humility in all areas of our life because of that. And it is also my prayer that we as a church body, that we also praise you, God, always, And that we seek to praise you, God, for all of the promises that you have made, even if some of those promises have not yet come to pass. And that we also seek to praise you, Lord, for who you are. And that we seek to praise and to magnify you because you are a sovereign God and a holy God and a merciful and gracious and all-powerful, all-knowing, always-present and loving God who so loved this world that you sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but instead have everlasting life. Forgive us the grace we need, Father, to rejoice and to praise you always. Since you, God, are great, you are greatly to be praised, and your greatness, God, for it truly is unsearchable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning realizing that you have created us from the dirt and you have breathed life into us. 
And as you told our mother and our father that they were not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, lest they die. And yet they ate it. And you didn't kill us right on the spot, Father. But instead, you provided the snake crusher, the one who would come and crush the serpent's head, the one who would come and be the seed who would bring blessings to all the nations of the earth, the one who would come and save sinners from their sins. Father, we have, like Mary, no claim before you. Thus, we come before you this morning in all of your holiness, in all of your power, in all of your might. And we say, holy is your name. Praise be to you, God, Father, forever and ever. Father, you are a faithful, promise-keeping God. You are holy, you are just, you are righteous, and your attributes, Father, they are unsearchable. Thus, let us continue to plumb the depths of your attributes more and more and more each day so that we can love you, can be in all of you, and can praise you more. Father, help us this morning to humble ourselves before you and before each other, and as a church family, to seek to praise you, God, above all else. For let nothing that takes place today and until your Son, Jesus Christ, comes again, steal our joy. For you are God, and for you are good, and praise be to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> 